I love scotch. 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 Yep. Have another whiskey. If you'd like to speak to me in person, press one. If you'd like to order drugs, press hash. <laughs> I had a gentleman in the crowd that was like, tell me how to drink Glenfiddich. And I was like, I will not do that. Yep. You drink Glenfiddich how you want to drink Glenfiddich. Wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles and look at the amount of looks you get. Yeah, it's unbelievable. This is the most flamboyant city on earth. You wear a cowboy hat, people look at you like you are yep. like an alien. The Beatles came on and they like, picked me up on his shoulder. George Harrison is as close to me as that wall now. I went, all right, George, all right. And he went, cough. <laughs> and that was the closest <laughs> I ever came to the Beatles. Have a whiskey while we- Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers, Cheers. So welcome back to United States of Dramerica, and I'm rather pleased because it's taken sort of two years to get this guest on. Welcome to the show over Zoom, Natalie Morales. Hi, Dan. I'm sorry it's taken so long. You're well, making me look bad right off the jump. Wait, there's nothing, there's nothing bad about being incredibly busy and successful, is there? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I really did intend to be on your show. And this actually is easier over Zoom because I can just do it from my house. So I'm not surprised it happened during quarantine. But you, I mean, so you're, you know, you're a successful actress, but you have actually become significantly more successful probably in the last couple of years since I asked you on. So the fact that you were always filming... Were you, but were you actually doing this show two years ago or were you talking about doing it? When did you actually start? So the last time we saw each other in person was uh -huh. my leaving due from the government. Right. Uh, the, my final whiskey tasting at the Fairmont Hotel in Santa Monica, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. And that was two years ago? And that was two years ago. And, wow. And oh, I, I said, I'm doing this podcast. You should come on it. And you said, yeah, I'll come on it. And then to be fair, it took me a year to actually launch. So okay. All right. Really, it's, really been, it's been a year. Yeah, okay. All right. Fine. It's been a year. <laughs> um, anyway. So um, the rather boring opening question is, how's your global pandemic going? Great. Just great. Um, I guess the honest answer is, I, I think probably the same as everybody, mixed in some ways. I mean, there are terrible, terrible parts about it personally. I mean, there's terrible parts about it globally, obviously. I'm talking personally, there's, there's really uh, hard days and times. And then there's also stuff that comes out of having to, you know, be at home that is not terrible, you know? Um, I've actually been very creative and very busy, which is not what I expected in the least uh, at all, and not really what was happening at first, and then sort of, it sort of just happened. I've been writing a lot. Um, I've been writing with my best friend and writing partner and United States of America guest, Serena Fialo. Um, we write together a lot, and, uh, it's been really, that's been really rewarding and really nice to have this. Um, we basically FaceTime every day and write all day long. And it's, uh, it's been, it's been nice. We just finished the first draft of a, of a feature. So it's exciting. Because obviously there's, there's people are doing this pandemic in different ways. So there's a sort of William Shakespeare wrote King Lear during his lockdown story, which I think is probably not true. And then <laughs> there's the, just surviving because you've got children running around the house version of it right and there's plenty of 
drinking too much and just staring at the news or reading Twitter versions of it. So yes. you, has it been consistently sort of good, busy, creative for you or have you had your down bits as well? No, it's definitely been a mix of all those things, except I don't have children. Um, so I guess right. I'm lucky in that perspective. I don't know. I mean, listen, at the same, I know all of my friends who do have children are like, oh my God, homeschooling. It's so hard and crazy. And I also have a job and have to do that at the same time in my kids are always home and there's no escape from anyone and it's always there and it's something that's like it is difficult but at the same time like you were telling me earlier you're getting to spend time with your kids that you don't ordinarily get to spend time with them and and um and i think that you know there's there's got to be something interesting in that at the very least if not good right but yeah i think for me it's been mixed i i took twitter off my phone right before the pandemic started and it's been great um, I don't have any notifications on my phone, so I don't get any news or anything unless I look for it. Um, so that's been a key thing. I try not to look at anything that will upset me past 6 p.m. <laughs> I never, ever, uh, if I can help it, listen to Donald Trump's voice or look at his face. <laughs> that also helps. I'll read, I'll read things he says, but I won't listen to it. His voice is very, very irritating to me. <laughs> Uh, as is his face. So, um, you, uh, have you seen the stuff by the comedian Sarah Cooper, who does his words with her? You know, she does the sort of story with his voice. Have you heard that? I think you're talking about the person that does impressions of him. Well, yeah, but she she talks with his voice in the background. Yes, I have seen uh, those, and those I can watch. I can I can watch because she's doing it. It's okay. it's nice. Yeah, right. just wanted to check how severe the voice thing was. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not great. I don't like. I I don't even like listening to people do impressions of him. That bothers me. You mentioned Trump. I'm going to tell the story of how we met. Okay. <laughs> so, does that have anything to do with Trump? I can't remember. Well, I sort of a little bit. So four-ish okay. four years ago, I think. I boarded, an, yes. I think it was an American Airlines flight from Los Angeles to New York. And I was given an upgrade. So I was very lucky to be at the, the front end of the plane. And I settled in for my journey, sitting next to a blonde man, I think, or a blonde lady. I can't quite remember which. And he was saying to his partner, who was sitting the row in front, something, you know, see you at the other end. So being a very nice man, because, you know, British people are nice. Sure. Said, Do you want to swap so you can sit next to your spouse? And the person said yes. So I moved forward a row and found myself sitting next to you. Um, also, also blonde me then. Yes, well, indeed, which was confusing. So <laughs> the, the, flight, the flight started, we took off, and I was faced with the classic... Los Angeles dilemma of, I think I recognize the person next to me. I think they are in one of my, at the time, favorite TV shows. But I'm still not entirely sure of the rules, particularly when you throw in a flight, as to whether I should say, hello, excuse me, aren't you that actress from that show? Because either that's a bit annoying because, you know, you don't need to be stopped by a fan, or we're about to sit on a plane and you don't just want to talk to the person anyway. So... <laughs> Um, I decided I'll, I'll try the sort of British charm, hope you're nice, and also, if if you don't want to talk to me, we can just 
you know, it's a plane, put on a headphone, you go to sleep or whatever. So anyway, Dan, Dan, look at us now. Well, it obviously worked. <laughs> I said, aren't you that nice lady from The Grinder, uh, which was at the time, I thought an amazing show with uh, Rob Lowe and um, Kevin. Ed no, Savage. Yes. Um, and, and you were that person. So just, just obviously now that we're four years into sort of being acquaintances, stroke friends, do you like being approached by random men to say, hey, aren't you that person from that show? Or, what, or, do you, what do you think? <laughs> presumably not. <laughs> no, I, I actually never mind when it's somebody who is uh, like you were um, and presumably are, uh, when it's somebody who is aware that the people they see on TV or movies are, are also just people on a flight, you know? Um, the times when it bothers me is when people don't have uh, a sense of space or they look at you as though you're a thing and not a person. Like sometimes people will go, I know you from something and I'll be like, okay. And then they'll be like, what is it? <laughs> like. I don't know. <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, but you're like on TV or something. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, so what have you been in? And then I'm forced to list my resume to a stranger, which to me is like, I would never make someone do that. If I didn't know what someone was from, I wouldn't approach them and ask them. It's so crazy to me to assume that someone has the time to list their resume for you. It's, it's insane to me. And I can't tell you how many times I get that, you know, I don't mind if somebody likes what I've done or something that I've been in and wants to talk about it. That's great. Like that's, I mean, a, it's the, it's, it's, I, 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 I am also a fan of TV and people on TV and people in films. And I, and if I have the chance to talk to somebody about a, a, something that I saw that I liked very much, I would probably take it as well, but I would also be just aware that of their time and respect their space and time. And I've had people, I remember once I, I, I was, after a breakup, I was crying, talking to my friend at a bar and someone asked me to take a photo with them. And I was like, <laughs> are you crazy? Well, it's, it's lucky actually, I didn't give you the more generic approach and say, you know, you've definitely been in a TV show. Can you list everything you've been in? Because uh, don't take this the wrong way. If you'd listed everything else, you know, middleman, powerless, um, Parks and Rec, girls, I haven't seen any of those shows. So the only thing you've been in that I've ever seen is The Grinder. So if I'd made you list it, that might have been, given the show had just been cancelled, you may never have listed it and we would never True. have known what you were in. So it worked True. out. Um, A lot of times people think, people swear to me that they went to college with me. They're like, yeah, you went to Arizona State. And I'm like, no, I didn't. And they're like, yes, you did. <laughs> I, I promise you I did not. But I think, you know, if, if you watch a show enough times or if you've seen it, like if you've watched Parks and Rec, I've, I'm like in the back of your brain and, you're, and you sort of translate that to like, I know this person kind of, so it must have been college. And some people are so adamant that they know me and it's so funny and weird. Very weird. So the reason, my, my sort of sequitur for, for bringing up how we met is not, I mean, it's also, it's, it's interesting, and I'm now glad, glad I get to ask you whether I behaved correctly at the time. But more importantly is, we then got chatting, once we got past the grinder, we got 
we got chatting and you were absolutely adamant because obviously you're a you know you're politically aware should we say mm-hmm. and you were absolutely adamant that trump would not win the what would then be forthcoming election and equally it, you were I, adamant <laughs> i was beyond adamant that brexit would not happen and, and i feel like we were well we were both obviously wrong Yes, uh, we were wrong, and uh, and I guess that you know explains why we're friends. We have similar uh, optimistic outlooks on life. <laughs> yeah, no, no, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour myself a whiskey. Um, okay. Uh, I'm gonna pour appropriately because I'm talking to you. I'm gonna pour myself a Balvenie 17 because having met you on the plane, I then said to you at some point, "Do you drink whiskey?" And you said yes, and I said, "Would you like to come to a whiskey tasting?" And three weeks after we met, you were at the British Consul General's residence in Los Angeles drinking 40-year-old Balvenie, among mm-hmm. other drinks. Um, so Balvenie seems to be the appropriate drink. And you're, you're drinking, you've got some I'm bourbon. Drinking, yes, um, well, it's bourbon whiskey. I, I'm drinking Kings County Distillery straight bourbon whiskey. Very good. Um, yes. Well, I have poured myself a very Yes, healthy. I mean, from my perspective, Dan, imagine you meet some British diplomat who's sitting next to you and goes, hey, I, I have these whiskey tastings at the British consulate. Do you want to come? And so I then say to my best friend, Serena, who we enjoy going to all sorts of strange things together. Do you want to go to some weird whiskey tasting at the British consulate that this guy I met on a plane who's a diplomat invited me to? And she was like, yep, I do. <laughs> and then there we were. So we... We've, I think we've met maybe, I think, five or six times. And they're all, all the meetings were, not well, 50% of the meetings were a bit weird. So I think maybe the second time we met, we were, you were at South by Southwest doing oh, a yes. panel. Um, so South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And I was hosting a big event and I invited you along. And your hands were bandaged because you'd just fallen into a fire the day before. <laughs> Yep, that is correct. Um, I I had been camping in Joshua Tree, or at least I, I actually didn't camp, but I was visiting friends who were camping that night. I had spent the day in Joshua Tree with them. And because I had to fly to South by Southwest in the morning, I I I was the the point was that I would go home at around seven or eight. And um what ended up happening is that as I put I, I like to tend a fire and, and build a fire. And as I put the last log in the fire, as I was about to go, I didn't notice that someone had flipped the grate that goes over the fire, someone had flipped it out. And so I tripped on that and I, and I landed with my hands, thankfully not in the fire. And thankfully it wasn't my face in the fire, uh, but it was, there was like a sort of cylindrical uh, metal, you know, sheet surrounding the fire, if that makes any sense. And so I, I landed on that and I seared my hands like a chicken breast on a barbecue. Um, and it was one of the most painful, we like awful experiences of my life. And then I had to get on a plane the next day to go to South by Southwest. And so many people, I was meeting all these new people who wanted to shake my hands and my hands were all bandaged. And I, was, I had a hard time, like, carrying luggage because my hands are burned. 
yeah, that these things happen to me, Dan. These but, strange but, accents. <laughs> the next time we met, and there will be people listening to this thinking, well, hold on, he moved seats to sit next to her, and then, and then this version of meeting you sounds like I'm stalking you, and I, I assure you I'm not. You are the only person I've ever met on a freeway. <laughs> oh, um, in my whole life, I know a lot of people, but this has never happened to me, weirdly it happened to you. I was minding my own business, driving north on the 405 um, in Los Angeles, which if anyone knows Los Angeles, that's the six lane highway that always features on the news. Oh my God. And I, th I assume the traffic was going slowly because it always is. Yeah, Dad, I totally forgot about that. That's so true. How so, weird. So I'm just minding my own business in lane three of six. And I look over and <laughs> I see what I think is a famous actress from The Grinder, among other shows, in lane four of six. I, I hands-free phone you and you answer. And I sort of say, you know, turn to your right. And there I am. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think I've ever run into anyone on a freeway either. And, and it, I think we were stuck in heavy traffic. Yeah. And I also never take the 405 because I don't live on the west side. And I, I, it must have been some special occurrence while I was taking it. It's very rare that I'm on that highway. And, uh, and yes, I remember giggling like crazy because I also thought it was so strange that, like, how do we sit next to each other on a plane and then find each other on the same highway? That's just so bizarre. Yeah, so, yeah, so fate has thrown us together. So um, I guess so. I, I mean, I feel like we're going to get struck by lightning at some point together. Oh, I rather hope not. <laughs> I hope not too, but it's in the, it looks like it's in the cards, Dan. So, um, <laughs> you are, so you, in terms of your, let's, let's, let's do some, um, there's two sorts of questions we can do here. We can do acting type questions and we can do, what the hell's going on in the world type questions. We should probably do both, but let's do some acting ones first. Yeah, we can do both. And I'm also okay with like taking a break from the world also, if you want. Oh, well, mind. I'm happy. I'm very happy not to talk about some of the disastrous things happening. So let's, let's talk about your career. Okay. Um, so you have been in plenty of TV shows and you've been in some quite good movies in the last so so since we've met basically you've started your i mean i'm sure it's nothing to do with meeting me but your <laughs> your film career has moved forward so you were in um stuba which was a rather clever movie about thank you an uber and a, a police officer who temporarily lost his sight which was very funny and quite clever um and you were in battle of the sexes uh, playing one of the ladies on the sort of women's tour who were all supporting billy jean yes <laughs> and then you got what would, I think, I remember when I was talking to you about sort of, because I don't really know your world very well, I said, sort of, what were you hoping for? And you basically got your own TV show with you as the lead. Um, I did, and it was promptly cancelled, but I did, I did get it. I did have, I was on an NBC sitcom, primetime Thursday night TV show um, that no one watched or probably has heard of called Abby's last year. Um, and I thought it was quite good. I did not get much room to grow as, as many TV shows uh, don't get. Uh, but yes, I did, that did happen, which was really nice. 
So, you, you know, you're a lead on the show. And I guess, ironically now, you look at where the world is, the story of somebody setting up a neighbourhood outdoor bar, and that would actually do very well during coronavirus. Yes, it, it would. Um, but I, th- I guess, so actually, I'm going to ask you this, if you, if you don't mind. So my two favourite shows that you've been on were both cancelled quite quickly. How, how does that work for you as an actress where, obviously, it's nothing to do with you, but the show's just, they're sort of good and people think they're good, but for whatever reasons, they don't stand up and they get cancelled. And then other shows that you're in with maybe smaller parts have kept running. How, no, how, those, those get cancelled too, usually. <laughs> <laughs> how do you process that? It's not easy, you know? And I, I think something that I've learned actually recently through this quarantine is that, I mean, in my line of work and in, and, and in anything that, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an actor and I'm a director and I'm a writer. And all three of those jobs have zero job security because as you said, things get canceled and like you never know what happens or if something, or if they'll cut you out of something or if you'll get fired for some reason. Like, unless you're like on Modern Family, you know, which is the chances of that are very hard, right? Like unless you're on one of those shows from the beginning, you, you don't really have a, a, a good safety net unless you're very, very frugal, which I, I am and I, and I do save my money, but you, you never know when your next job is going to come. But what this quarantine and this time has taught me is that job security is a myth in any job. Mm-hmm. Anybody could not have a job in a second. And, um, people that work at companies and have, you know, their 401ks and like have all that stuff like that, as we've seen, can be taken away really, really easily. So not, not because of this, uh, although this has strengthened my opinion. Um, I think a, a few years ago, I decided to be a little less scared of what was going to come next um, because it is really stressful so I just decided to go, you know what, like, I think at this point in my life and in my career, I have done what I wanted to do and, and met people and have been easy and perhaps even fun to work with. And I think people know what I do. And I'm also creating my own work. So I think the chances that I will work again are, are, are good, right? So I decided to just practice that because when you're on maybe I got lucky in that, you know, the first show I was ever on got canceled. So ever and every show since then, basically. So I, I think, you know, I'm used to it in a sense. I don't really celebrate things until much later because I know that they can be, they can be gone in an instant. I do appreciate them, you know, and I, and I do really, when I'm in it, I go, oh, this is very lucky. But I, I also am, have to be, for my own sanity and um, sense of self, have to be aware that it can be gone. And that's okay. And that's, you know, and that's part of it. I think also the thing that's happened while my career has been um, so sort of side by side with me in getting more work in this business is the, the rise of uh, streamers and network shows can't really compete anymore. And, and they also, in my opinion, aren't very intelligent about the way they do it. 
um, because they don't give shows a chance to grow. And I mean, how it started failing really was with um, when DVRs came out, people were fast forwarding through commercials, right? And that became an issue and people were recording things. So, so things weren't being watched live. And if you think about a show like Parks and Rec, for example, um, got terrible ratings when it was on. And there was no, not really many streamers at the beginning of that show. Um, but, and it wasn't ever really popular while it was on TV. No one watched it live. But then when it got on Netflix, it blew up and it's like a huge show. So, and, and every year that show was on the bubble. Every year it was like, oh, this show's gonna get canceled. I think the only reason it made it through is because it had Amy Poehler as a lead and it had somewhat of a following, but every year they were afraid it was gonna get canceled. Same thing happened with Community. In fact, I think it did get canceled. Um, and so I think, you know, with the shows that I've been on, they've suffered that same fate where, where you know, they don't, like The Grinder. it's critically acclaimed, honestly. <laughs> Um, and I understand why. It's a very, very, very funny, inventive show. But they, I guess they felt they couldn't give it another season. Although I, I think if they did, they would have probably gotten their money back. You know, they would have, um, they would have seen some growth and seen people like it. But the, the truth is people don't watch live television anymore. Um, not in the same way that they used to. So the advertising game, which is how the networks make their money, is completely different. Um, so you just, I, I try to think about it in that sort of business sense and less in that, like, you know, they're taking my art away from me. Although it is really sad to not see the people that you work with anymore every day and, you know, not get to finish out stories that you were excited about finishing. Santa Clarita Diet was a show that I really loved being a part of. And I wasn't a series regular on that. Um, I was just sort of a guest on. I really was looking forward to seeing where that story went. And I thought that was cut short a little bit too. So it happens, you know, part of the business. I mean, it, you know, I've got, I've got a few friends in, in the business, uh, of varying degrees of success. And they all talk about the sort of the job insecurity part. And obviously at the moment it's worse for everybody because nothing's being made. Um, and there's a lot of talk in general about, sort of mental health for everybody. And as, to your point, no jobs are safe in any sort of industry at the moment. You seem to be dealing with sort of the, the ephemeral world of TV plus a global pandemic reasonably well from a sort of mental health point of view. Are your, are your peers, are your friends, are you, so is there a lot of rallying around going on? Yeah, you know, I think what this has forced us all to do is, you know, find a way to like it, whether we want to or not, like find a way to make it work for us this time, you know, and I know a lot of people have pivoted to doing different things. Like I have friends who are actors who are, who are out of work and like people that work on Broadway, that's not going to happen you know and and those people like i i know people who have shifted into making masks and having their own etsy shop you just have to be i mean humans are adaptable by nature and luckily so so luckily i had a, a writing project that happened right before this so i've been able to spend my quarantine writing so i i, I can get up in the morning and have something to do and a and a, and a like something that i uh, hopefully will earn me money <laughs> Um, and that 
is is really I'm very thankful for that. But yeah, I mean, right before lockdown started, I was in pre-production for um, my first feature that I'm directing, and it got shut down um, literally the day, the last day of uh, of prep. So we we were going. It was a Friday when it got shut down. We were going to start filming the movie that Monday, um, and. And so then I, I was, I had done, it was like this really ramp up to directing my first feature and then yanked away, you know? So it, it's been, for me personally, I, I'm very lucky that I've, I, I, I also sort of made a, a weird little experimental movie in this. I've tried to find ways to be creative and at the same time, try to find ways to, to earn money by, by writing and stuff. But I, I do have a lot of friends who are, you know, trying to find some way to work and, and some way to do something. And I have other friends who are like, I, I think I have to move away. I don't think I can afford living in LA anymore. If I, you know, I'm, and, and something insane that just happened is, is SAG uh, redid their health insurance so that it's now the premiums are way higher and the minimum that you have to earn is way higher. They just made it so much harder for people to get health insurance in the middle of a pandemic when no one's working. And it's been this huge, awful thing that everyone's talking about. And um, it's very hard, you know? I mean, I'm trying to stay sane and move forward and like, and, and you know, and find a way through what's happening and not see it as all doom and gloom because that is, is not a way that I can live. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm trying to find, you know, my way through it. Yeah, I've read about the SAG stuff. Yeah, so the minimums are are higher. The, the actual health insurance you've got is the coverage is less. And I think mm -hmm. there's an issue for people who are older. Um, they don't get some of the benefits that they thought they had accrued. Yes, I mean, the, the, if you're over 65, residual payments don't count for your benefits, which is the cruelest form of ageism I can think of. Mm -hmm. Because imagine you worked in your youth and then you're retired and your show is still airing and you're getting residuals from that, but you can't earn insurance from that. That's so awful to do to people, especially right now. I mean, in general, but especially right now. And, and it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult. Yeah. Cause also presumably if they want to earn new money, then the people who are in the one age group, which is the most vulnerable to this disease may well have to go back out. Exactly. Exactly. But that's the thing is it's a cruel industry it is hard it is hard and there are parts of it that i mean it is what you make it and obviously there's there's an audience for anything right so there is bullshit stuff out there that is just a shill for a quick cash grab that means nothing and is artless and and that's all it is right but also i I, as a, as a child and as a human in the world, would be nobody without the TV and movies that I saw as a child and as a young adult. They, they formed so many ideas and thoughts and, of what I could be and what was possible in the world and what was funny. And, and they introduced me to all sorts of different people that didn't exist in my hometown. And it shapes culture. It shapes the way that the world moves forward. And, and it also is art and it also adds beauty. So 
I, it, it can be a hard business, but also like there's a part of it that is so special. And the, what to me is I always try to keep as the core of it um, in everything that I do. I, I don't do it because I, I obviously do it to earn a living, but I don't, that's not why I do it, you know, and I don't do it for fame or for accolades. I do it because I like to put art in the world and I like to express humanity in a sense. I like to express what it is to be alive. And I think that's important to not only to, to see, but to do. It's something we've been doing since the beginning of time. People have been telling stories and it's important to have that. And it's important to look at ourselves in that way. And so it bothers me when, when people just whittle it down to the minutia and, all the, and how hard it is and, and all that stuff. Because yes, anything worthwhile is not easy. Los Angeles and California have offered me opportunity that I never dreamed of having. And I think that's something really special and I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you think... When when life, in, in a sort of TV and film sense, begins to return to normal, when production comes back and so on, do you think you'll have a different outlook, or you've learned anything from the last what will by, by then be a you know at least six months of lockdown? Will you approach things differently? I mean, there's probably going to be a lot less handshaking. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think hopefully people will appreciate uh their jobs more uh not that they don't i think one of the things i really really like about my industry and my job is that when it's going well and when people feel supported and and excited about what they're doing right for the most part on any film set every single person no matter what their job is doing their very best because it is difficult. So you're not going to do it unless you love it. You're not going to spend 16 hours of your day doing something unless it, unless it like is worth it for you in some way. And, and other things pay more or the same that are not that hard and aren't that long and don't take you away from your families in some cases. And I think people that do that are in this business do it for the most part because they really enjoy doing it and they're, and they're doing their very best. So that's something that's always exciting to see. But I think, you know, while I am, if I'm being honest, quite frightened to go back to a set because I, I don't, there's a looseness and, a, and a camaraderie that happens when you're on a, film set that is hard to make happen when everyone has to wear masks and stay six feet away from each other. Mm. Um, so that I'm not, I don't, I haven't wrapped my head around that yet, but I do think that it, it will probably have leave people with a sort of renewed sense of um, excitement for this, this thing they get to do, you know, instead of something they have to do. Yeah. So uh, apart from maybe now with the pandemic, what, what do you think has been the hardest part of your career or, or, or one moment which was the most difficult for you in all your years of this? That's an interesting question. I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to mind and, and your listeners are really going to think I'm very accident prone, uh, which I guess I am. Um, I, I did this show called uh, White Collar in New York. 
it was my second sort of show that I had a regular job on. And right after it was done, I, I lived in New York and I was going to move back to LA because they, they were on hiatus and they didn't know what was going to happen. And I was just going to come back to LA. And I went to um, the opera for, with my friend. I had never been to the opera before. I, I, this was the first time I was going out with this, this friend. I had, I had met her recently and, and uh, she was like, do you want to come to the opera with me? And I was like, sure. Never been. That sounds fun. And in the middle of one of the intermissions, she said, oh, those are my parents sitting down there. Do you want to go say hi? And so we walked down to say hi, except I tripped and I fell uh, about 22 steps and I landed face first on the balcony wall and I broke my face. <laughs> I, bro I, I, I shattered my nose and some of my cheekbones and, um, and I had to have like emergency reconstruction surgery because I didn't have a nose. It was non-existent. It was, as the doctor said, it was rocks in space that she had to put back together. Um, and I looked to myself. I mean, if you go back and look at my earlier stuff, you can definitely tell my voice is also different, but for about a year or so, I didn't recognize myself. Um, when I looked in the mirror because I looked like a different person and it was also still healing. So it was kind of shape-shifting all the time. Um, but I also didn't get a lot of work that year. Um, the, a whole shitty situation happened with White Collar and the people that ran that show. Um, they were not very nice about that. And then I also, I, I, I had to basically start over. Um, I didn't, I, I don't know if it was that I looked different and, uh, and that's why I wasn't getting hired or if it was that my confidence was low because I didn't, I, 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 I was like, it was completely um, disorienting and I, I was disassociating. Every time I looked in the mirror, I, I was like, well, there's nothing I can do that's not like, I can't fix my hair or put on makeup because it's not me. It's not what I want to look like, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't know if it was my confidence. I don't know what it was, but I, I sort of had to start over, uh, in a sense where, you know, I was back to just doing sort of guest star stuff after that. And luckily that went well and, and got me back on a track where I was, I was more of a like series regular on stuff, but it, it was a, it was kind of a reset and it was weird and hard and I didn't I didn't work for a while in the in the same way and I was making a lot less money and it was just it was a it was a hard thing um but now this is my face <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't want any potential casting directors to be listening to the show thinking well we probably can't take a risk on Natalie because she'll probably fall over between audition and Listen, I've never, that's never happened on a, I've never been injured on a set before. That's not true, actually. That's not true. I have been injured on a set once. I crashed okay. a motorcycle, but that was not my fault. Okay. Um, <laughs> apart from falling down the stairs and smashing into the wall and falling into a fire and crashing a motorcycle, you don't have many accidents. Is that what you're saying? That, I mean, that'll happen within the span of like a few years from each other. And I guess not the, not the fire thing. I'm pretty care. Here's what I'm going to say. 
I do a lot of stunts. I've done a lot of stunts in my career, and I've nailed them all, and I've never hurt myself doing a stunt. So I'm, I'm good. And if you do as much living as I do, you're bound to get hurt every now and then. Quite right. Don't not hire Natalie because yes. that is the message here. Okay. Yes. That is not the answer I expected. Uh, <laughs> that must be brutal to... Given that you know you're you're in a world of you know headshots and your face is well you know your how you what you look like is what they're going to put on a in a yeah movie. so yeah that, uh, that it is weird I remember I remember my literally my first thought after I I smashed my face and I and I tried to talk and all that came out was blood and. I couldn't see, I had shock blindness for about like 15 minutes. I couldn't see anything. So I thought I was blind and I, and I thought my face is no longer there. Like I couldn't tell, I couldn't hear anybody really. Cause you know, when you hit your head very hard and you just hear that, like that, like noise that like your set, the sound goes out. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Um, so I couldn't really hear anything or I couldn't see anyone. I, I tried to talk and I was just coughing up blood and people were touching me, I think, to see if I was okay. And I remember going, all right, I guess my face is not there anymore. And my next thought was, I could be a writer. Like that was like <laughs> immediately what I thought. And, and it is what I ended up doing. I mean, I not getting work made me direct stuff and made me write stuff and made me do stuff that, you know, that I wouldn't, I, I, I don't know. I, I started making work for myself because I wasn't seeing, nobody was casting me in the things I wanted to do, you know? So actually having a series canceled is, you know, not that big a deal. No, you know? a lot worse stuff has happened to me <laughs> than that. So, no, I don't, yeah. this is not meant to be a sort of, this isn't sort of United States of terrible things happening to you podcast. <laughs> um, so let's do the, so the, the flip side to the uh, what's the worst thing that's happened in your career. Let's do the other version of that. What's the best thing that's happened or has been part of your, your journey? Oh, God, I hope, I, I hope it hasn't happened yet. I don't know. Good answer. <laughs> I, I, that's hard to say because I do really, there's so many aspects of, of the career that I've had so far that I am so amazed by like truly I like my jaw drops and I can't believe it's happening so many parts of it um like Abby's what we talked about every night when I was out there in front of that live audience I could not believe what was happening and um getting to meet Billie Jean King and and also Rosie Casals who I played in Battle of Sexes was mind-blowing um, just, just the, the things that I've never thought that I would ever, I think I, I am just like eternally thankful and grateful because I never thought, like, I already surpassed anything I thought I would do, you know, that's yeah. already, that's already happened. So now it's just like, well, let's see what else we can fit into this life, you know? <laughs> Let's see what else I can, I can, uh, sky's the limit. Because if I was already, everything I dreamed of when I was, when I was starting out, all of that has happened. It's already happened. So, so now I'm just kind of seeing what else I can do. Cause I, I hopefully have more time left and I want to do it right. Yeah, absolutely. So 
obviously you you've you've played plenty of straight parts but you obviously you've played a lot of comedy parts and you are in real life hopefully our listeners have worked out from this but if they haven't i i realized it both on the 405 and on the flight you're very funny well thank you (laughs) Um, do you think in this post-pandemic return to work when new shows are being greenlit they're going to make lighter funnier shows because people just don't need politics and pandemics and so on or and and therefore you're actually the perfect actress for the future of television and film wow thank you maybe you can make a sign that says that um and and just hold it in front of me when i walk around um i i i do think people are probably in the mood to see funnier things um but you never know i mean people People are watching all sorts of stuff on TV right now, you know, but I, I do think, I mean, there's space for everything, but I, I've always loved comedy and comedy has, I, I think there's, I think life itself is very funny. And my favorite things are things, even, even dramas that have those moments of, of comedy, I think are the most realistic because that is what life is. I mean, we've all sort of giggled at one point at a funeral, you know, we all have these moments of like utter just despair where we see one thing that's funny and it sends us into a fit because those emotions go hand in hand. It's the ridiculousness of existence. That is something that we try and, and, you know, connect to and connect with each other about uh, so I, I think there's room for all of it, but yeah, I mean, comedy is comedy is the thing. Right. Look, I'm conscious of. I told you that it would how long it would be, and we're now probably going over time, mostly because your accidents took longer to describe than we. I'm thought. sorry. <laughs> so, look, the final question we ask everybody is: if you could have any whiskey with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? What would it be? And where would it be? How interesting, um, Dan. I don't, I don't really know my whiskeys is the problem. Well, you can just you know use that? the Balvenie that we gave Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll do that very nice Balvenie with Buster Keaton on the set of one of his movies. Now, that's a great answer. Thank you. I've forgotten about your, your obsession with Buster Keaton. Yeah, that was an accurate description. This is worthy of an, an extra question. I'm going to break okay. the rule. Tell me about your obsession with Buster Keaton. <laughs> Just tell you about it. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I I I'm very highly influenced uh, by Buster Keaton and and his career and his acting style and his comedy. It is the most. I would say it's the the most influenced I've been by anything, and it really shapes so much of what I think is the, the way to be funny and I, I and I think that uh, the career that you talked about this entire time we've been talking would not be present had I not seen his films um I I'm I really connect to a man who died many many years before I was born um and um and I I, I try and watch all his stuff I mean I, I've seen all his stuff but I try and watch it often it brings me a lot of joy um and 
and yeah, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I, I think almost anything that I do is somewhat influenced by him. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you, Buster Keaton, for inspiring Morales <laughs> to be such a fantastic actor who I've enjoyed in many shows that are now cancelled. Um, thank you. <laughs> so, um, thank you for your, your time. Um, good luck with your writing projects. Good luck staying up, having any accidents, and good luck when things return to normal. Thank you. You, good luck with, you know, everything you're doing. <laughs> Mm, I love scotch. 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 Yep. And don't forget to not just follow us yep. on Twitter and Instagram at US of Dramerica, but also ask us questions and comment and say yep. nice things. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if the mood takes you, you can leave us a review as uh, feedback is always welcome. And drink whiskey. Slonchevar.